Greetings once again from Fremont E Free Church. We are here for a special Tuesday afternoon edition of our podcast. We've had a few things going on this week, and so we are uh, a day later than usual, but excited to dive into it. I would call—I don't know if calling this a, meg, a mega podcast sounds too intimidating, but we are going to try to cover Acts 10 and 11, or at least the first part of chapter 11, because interestingly enough, um, Acts 10 and Acts 11 are kind of a retelling of the same story. Acts 11 retells Acts 10 from Peter's perspective. Last week, because of our special Valentine's Day podcast, we did not get to Acts 10. And so Jim and I thought that we would maybe go ahead and do Acts 10 and 11. We were actually talking before the podcast started that after we got some good feedback last week about the Valentine's Day podcast, maybe we should branch off into other different topics for podcasts. So we were we were even talking about our agricultural knowledge that has grown since we've been pastors at this church. But we'll save that podcast for another day. And today we'll stick to more of what we hopefully know uh, better than those things, which is the Word of God, hopefully. So Acts 10 and 11, um, 48 verses in chapter 10, 18 verses in chapter 11, certainly plenty of source material to work with. Uh, really what we're talking about is Peter and Cornelius. I, I will point out something interesting to start with. Like Obviously, Cornelius plays a central role in chapter 10. In the retelling of chapter 11, Cornelius' name doesn't even get mentioned once, oh, interesting. which is really interesting. And, and I think a reminder to us that this really isn't about Cornelius. It's not even really about Peter. It's about the work that God is doing, advancing the gospel to the Gentiles. Right. Nevertheless, Peter and Cornelius are the central players here in Acts 10 and 11. And so just love to hear from you, Jim, as you've had, in some cases, two weeks to chew on this. What have, you, what have you been thinking with Acts 10 and 11? What are the things that have stuck out to you? You know, I think one thing that you mentioned with Acts 11 that I think also applies in Acts 10 is how much of the Lord's activity is taking place within this story, right? Yeah, no how, question. How the Lord is moving these pieces of of the board together, right? He's moving in Cornelius. He's moving in Peter. He's moving in them both at the same time to bring them together for this monumental moment in church history. And just to think about like, to see the hand of God moves um, in chapters like this, you go, wow, it's really obvious to see that the hand of God is moving because it tells us this. But the reality is, is every day of our lives, God, the hand of God is also moving us just as much, right. even though we don't read it or see it. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that is happening. And so just thinking about that was really impactful to think that, you know, God is sovereign over all of these events, not only in chapter 10 and 11, but in our lives as well. Yeah. Yeah. As you read through Acts 10 and 11, you understand why the traditional title of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, has been pushed back on by some. Um, because it's not really the Acts of the Apostles, is it? I mean, this is a book about how God is still at work through His Holy Spirit, through the risen Christ, through the Father's care in the Apostles, right? So you, we see the triune God at work. And even in this passage, I would say Acts 10, 11, you're seeing the triune God at work here doing a mighty thing through Peter um, in the life of Cornelius and his household. And so to to simply say, oh, well, this is the Apostles doing all these works, like, you're, you're kind of missing the point. And Acts 10 and 11, I think, makes that very clear. No, this is God who's doing this work. Like, the, the primary theme of Acts would seem to be that God is doing something and right. that he is advancing the kingdom through the church. And so I, I think it's very obvious in Acts 10 and 11 that's what's happening. Right, right. And it's encouraging, right, to know that the Lord does orchestrate all things. And it's a beautiful picture, I think, just to see how this is moving and to know that 
in our situations in life that God is also doing a beautiful work of, of moving for us too. Yeah, no question. So here, here's the big question I have for you from t- Acts chapter 10 and 11. I think this is the question that naturally our minds run to when we read this because we see Acts 10 verses 1 to 48, and then we read it in Acts 11, 1 to 18, not to spoil things too much, but the same theme is going to kind of continue in this week's passage. It's going to be a different topic, but it's basically the gospel advancing amongst the Gentiles. And so I think the natural question is, why is this so important? Mm. So like, why does this matter so Mm. much that the Gentiles are hearing the word of God and being accepted into the community of God? I think it's really hard for us to understand in 2022, why this matters so much. Like, and so I have a follow-up question to that, and I'll maybe I'll just throw them both out there and let you answer them as you see fit. Like, the question is like, I, I think I mean there's obviously one easy implication: we're Gentiles, we're included in the gospel. But like, for the original audience, like, why is why is Luke going out of his way to emphasize this so much? Um, and secondly, like, why were the original disciples? And for that matter, the, like the the those he labels as the circumcised party, why were they so hesitant about this? So those are my questions because I, I think that's that's really where Acts ten and eleven sends you. If you think about, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a passage about the gospel extending to the Gentiles. So I was asked two questions: Why is this so important that Luke is still talking about it, and why was the, why were the original Christians who were of a Jewish background so hesitant about it? Right. You know, this is one of those things where I wish I had the the DeLorean time machine from Back to the Future, because I would love to go back to this moment here, because I think it is such a fundamental moment in church history that just totally loses its impact on us. Sure. Right. That to go back here and culturally to understand what's going on at the time. Right. To know the way uh, Jews looked at Gentiles, the way Gentiles were viewed, to be in this outsider Gentile world, right? And to, to I mean, obviously you saw that, you, you see this in even in the Gospels, right? You see where Gentiles could only be on the outside of the, the temple, right? So they were always like, you get the sense that they were always interested, but they were never let in. Right. Um. And I think that the, obviously the Jews felt like, I, I mean, I don't know how they necessarily felt, but you kind of get this idea that maybe they're like, Hey, this is ours mm-hmm. and we're not really going to share. Right. Um, but to be in this moment and watch this unfold in, in acts 10 and 11 and moving forward and seeing the Gentiles receive the message of the gospel and they rejoice because they now get to be considered to be included in that is just like, like we just lose sight of, of that reality that for thousands of years from Abraham on the God, he was the God of Israel. Right. Right. And, and that left that seemed except for exceptions, right? Like the Rahabs and Mm -hmm. Ruth's, you know, there were exceptions that came in, but for the most part, it wasn't that way. Right. And now all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 no. Now we're making this left turn and now everybody gets to come in. So, like to be a Gentile in that moment and to hear those words would to me would just be like, like 
we've been left out on the best thing ever. And now all of a sudden we get to come in. Are you serious? Right. Like we get this. Yeah. Like that would just be so incredible. And I can see where, where the Jews could struggle with that. Right. If you've been told something all of your life and then you're all of a sudden told something different, that's going to be pretty hard to accept. Right. Um, Right. So I'm sympathetic actually to the circumcision party in Acts 11. Like I understand why they're hesitant actually. And they've known for centuries that this is the way it's always been. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, someone came up with an idea five years ago and we've been holding on to this for five years. This has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. I mean, I, I don't even like, I was trying to think what is, what is the equivalent of that? I, I don't know if I can even think of an equivalent of that where we could say something you've been taught all your life and then all of a sudden, nope, it's a little bit different. You haven't understood it correctly or you haven't understood the fullness of it. Right. I think segregation is the closest thing that I could think of, but we didn't, like, I, I'm not that old to live through that. Close, but, but yeah, But that's ahead, the yeah. closest thing, you know, is to look at that there was a separation and now there's inclusion where that separation yeah. should have never been, you know, segregation should never happen. And now there's this inclusion. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's a parallel in that 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 for a generation maybe they're taught that white and black people were to be separate, and then all of a sudden there is this idea that they shouldn't be. No, yeah, we would say in that case they were wrong to have believed that from the start. Like whereas Correct. I think we would say in the Jewish Gentile case, like that there was reason to believe that from the Old Testament. Right. Right. So I think there's there's a difference, but yeah, that's probably a good that's a good parallel. So. Maybe we're going to get too deep in the weeds of speculation here, but I, I think it's worth asking the question, like, if God's plan was always to include the Gentiles, what's the deal with the Israelites throughout the Old Testament? Like, why why are they specified as God's chosen people if the plan was always for Gentiles to be included? And maybe, I mean, the risk, the risk I run in asking that question is that I don't know that we're going to have a concrete answer. However, I think it's worth asking because... If we're trying to put together the large storyline of Scripture, I think it's helpful to ask the question, well, if this was always the plan, why did it take so long to get there? Why, why is it just happening now? So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, I'm going to give my John Piper answer, right? Uh, go ahead, yeah. Because God got the most glory of this plan that he put in place. Well, that's, that's a good start. Um, I've, I've heard <laughs> said before, if, you, if you're ever asking the question, why does God do anything? The answer always, the short answer, that's always the correct answer is for his glory. Right. So, all right, I'll give you that we'll, one. We'll put that aside. You, you got a point in your ledger. You got that one correct. Good job. All right, so now the deeper, <laughs> like the longer extended answer, I'd love to hear more of what your thoughts are. Well, I guess, okay, so I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is what was the purpose for the things that took place in the Old Testament, right? If the Old Testament is types and shadows pointing to bigger and greater realities, right? Yeah. Like the Passover lamb was pointing to the reality of Christ, right? And the sacrificial system was pointing to the great sacrifice of Christ. You know, um, to say that, you know, the temple had greater implications found both in Christ uh, and in what is going to come in the new heavens and the new earth, right? God is going to tabernacle with us. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I think that you could also look and say, okay, so if we believe that is is consistent with what we see in the Old Testament, then what do we do with Israel? Well, they were God's chosen people, right? Right. Okay, so what does that point to? What is that a type? Mm -hmm. What is that a shadow to the greater reality? And I think that is God's people, right? Mm -hmm. That we, the church... 
the universal church, God's people, is a picture of that. Like Israel is a picture. I mean, what did you know? What did God promise Abraham? Right, that he would be a father of many nations. Right, you know that his descendants would be the number of of stars in the sky and right. sand in the sea. Well, I don't think that was. I don't think the math works if we're just talking about a Middle East right. country. I think he's talking about this is pointing to the greater reality of God's people, which is the church. Right. So I do think that that's what Israel was pointing to, was pointing to a greater reality that is in God's people. And so that's how I think I'm going to answer that question. Yeah. I, I First of all, I think it's helpful that you point to Genesis 12 about... Abraham being the father of many nations. I, I think the idea that the good news was for all people is a lot more in the Old Testament than we probably give it credit for. Absolutely. So without doubt. Like if you go to Isaiah, there's all kinds of passages that would make you think, oh, this is for the nations, right? A lot like, of the Psalms say that too. Sure. Let the nations be glad, let the peoples rejoice. Yeah. Even Jonah going to the Ninevites. Um, Correct. Or, you know, you pointed out some of the examples of, of Bathsheba or Ruth or. Or others throughout the, you know, yeah, Rahab. Naaman, I guess. I'm thinking of people that, um, the, I think it was Naaman, the, Syri- the Syrian commander, right? Like who mm-hmm. had leprosy. So you have all these different stories in the Old Testament that would lead you to believe, okay, maybe, maybe it's not so simplistic as to say, like, God's favor is only on the Israelites, given all these things that you see in the Old Testament. But I do think, so this is my, you know, th- this is probably a dollar question that I'm throwing a nickel answer at. So, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, a, a theologian can poke all kinds of holes in this, but my simplistic answer to it is along the lines of what you said. That I think in the Old Testament, what you have is there, there's God showing that His people need to be distinct, and that mm. um, the Israelites were to be set apart and different, mm-hmm. right? And the reason He puts His favor on them is to show, like this is this is my chosen people have a different relationship with me. Um, and so all these restrictions and all these things are given to Israelites to show that they are distinct and different than the rest of the nations around them because God's people need to be distinct and different than the rest of the people around them. And then I think what that sets up is the need for God's people on an ongoing basis to be distinct and different. But the, the difference is that on this side of the cross, what makes us different is our union with Christ. Mm. I was just reading this morning where someone went through, I think it was Romans 16, could have been Romans 15, but they just highlighted all the times that the, the phrase in Christ was mentioned. Mm. And it's astonishing. Like the mm. amount of times, if you go through and just in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, like it was probably 10, 10 to 12 times in just that one short passage that I was looking at. I can't remember if it was Romans 15 or 16, but needless to say, like the idea of being in Christ in union with Christ, this is what makes us different. And what makes us different and set apart is that we are united with Christ and now the Spirit's doing a work in us. And I, I think the Old Testament relationship with Israel is setting all of that up to say that the people of God need to be distinct and different, hence follow all these laws. But then Christ came and fulfilled all of the laws. And so that's no longer how we're distinct. How we're distinct is that we're in union with Christ who fulfilled all of the laws. And now the Holy Spirit is doing a sanctifying work in us. And I think that's kind of what's going on in Acts 10 and 11 is that the, that, so the new covenant way of thinking, right? The new covenant being that like what makes us distinct now is union with Christ and the Spirit's work in us. Like the, the, Jewish believers in Acts 10 11 are still thinking in an old covenant way. What makes us distinct is circumcision. What makes us distinct is following the Mosaic law. And they haven't quite realized yet that Christ came and fulfilled all of those laws. And therefore, that's not what makes us distinct anymore. It's the Spirit. But I, 
I don't know. Again, that's probably a, a five cent answer to a dollar question. And I, I'm not sitting here and saying I've got it all figured out. And if you were to come back and ask me, if you had a DeLorean to fly into the future and we were in 20, you know, 2050, I might answer that question different. And be like, man, in 2022, I was an idiot. I don't even know what I was saying. But that's my, my elementary answer to it right now. Right. And, you know, I do think that, I mean, that will be a fascinating, that's one of those things that I think we see in a mirror dimly. Uh, but in time, in face-to-face, in eternity, we're going to see this big picture that God is weaving, and we're going to understand why he did what he did throughout redemptive history and see what he was doing. And we're going to go, wow, God, what an incredible plan that you had in the way that you worked all this out. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt there's a lot that's mysterious about it, and I think we will delight in it more as we see it more clearly, um, and we will celebrate it more. I do think... I I think the reason why I gave the answer I did in part is because of the way they respond. Like it's clear in Acts 11 that they thought they should be circumcised. Right. And that's going to carry Acts on 15, in the book, That's right? going to really come to a head. Yeah, right? it sure is. Like, but they were thinking in order to like, so I, I would say, I don't think we have reason to believe here at the beginning of Acts 11, that these people who are talking in the circumcised party were not Christians. I think they were Christians. They were Jewish Christians, I think. Right. And I think they were still kind of thinking that, yeah, we're saved through Christ, but like to be distinct, we still need to follow all the Mosaic law, including right. circumcision. Right. And so the fact that Peter would go and eat with uncircumcised people and hence become unclean, which again is part of the Mosaic law, like they just don't understand it. And to be fair to them, again, I would say it's not crazy, right? If this is something you're taught all of your life, like of course it's going to be hard to accept at first. Right. Um, but again, I think what they don't understand is that the law was fulfilled in Christ, and therefore there's no longer a need for a circumcision. What there's a need for is union with Christ, which is what sets us apart. And that's why the Jewish and the Gentile distinctions are going away, because that's not what matters anymore. What matters is, are you united to Christ in saving faith? Well, and even think about, isn't this one of the issues in the book of Galatians? Is the issue sure. of circumcision? Yeah. So you think about that, Galatians is decades. Yeah. After it didn't go away Acts immediately. Acts 10 and 11. So yeah. this shows that like decades later, you know, maybe it's 10 years or more, this is still going on within the church. This is still an issue that they're wrestling with and that they're struggling with, right? I mean, you could argue it's still going on today, right? Like in different ways, like that, like there are people who want to add to the work of Christ and they want to make union with Christ, not the key identifier of what it means to be a Christian. So right. they'll add things to it and say, well, if you're really a Christian, like, I, I mean, in some cases, I think baptism can actually be a replacement for circumcision for some, right? Like saying, well, if you're baptized, this is what saves you. This is what sets you apart. Like, Right. And, and no doubt, I think in churches like ours, we sometimes downplay the significance of baptism to an unhealthy standpoint. Baptism is more important than we give it credit for, but it's not right. salvific. Right. What saves us is union with Christ, right? Like, right. But I guess my point is like this idea of like the way that you are different or set apart is by your action and not by union with Christ is still something that's ongoing today. But you're absolutely right that as it relates to the issue of circumcision, it was still ongoing decades later. So while I'm encouraged by the end of Acts 11, or the end of the passage in verse 18, when, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I'm encouraged by that response. This doesn't put an end to the issue, right? It keeps right. popping up. You're right, in Acts 15 it does. You're right, in Galatians it does. So decades down the road, it's still an issue. Right, because I even think like in, in Acts chapter 15, you do have these Jewish converts 
that are still struggling, how do we reconcile these things that we have grown up hearing and now we have the message of Jesus and you can see that they're wrestling through their their theology, right? Yeah. Before we go on, I do have a question to ask. I, I want to make sure I didn't make a fool of myself. Can the DeLorean go in the future? I've not seen these movies enough to know. Or does it just go to the past? It, it can't go to the future. Okay, so that wasn't a crazy that, Back to the Future Part 2, they do go into the future. I feel better. I, like, I started to second-guess myself. I thought, maybe Jim thinks I'm an idiot over here because I talked about the DeLorean <laughs> going to the future. Nope. All right. You're good. You okay, are good. Let's, let's get back on track. Although, All right. So I've got a question. Yeah, go ahead. So we had this conversation in our gospel community group, and the question was this. What, like... We know that Peter came to tell them about the good news of Jesus, but obviously there is something stirring in Cornelius before Peter proclaims Jesus to them. So the question was, you know, in Ephesians chapter two, for example, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Sure. But yet it looks like at the beginning here that Cornelius is not dead dead something is stirring in him and so the question became when does the spirit begin to work in the life of a believer like is 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 there work is the spirit doing work here in cornelius that leads up to this moment when peter proclaims jesus like what i mean obviously we know that cornelius is not saved before this moment because he doesn't know jesus but yet there is something stirring in Cornelius. Is that from the spirit working in him? Is he prompting him? Is he moving him in this direction? Like how, like, that's great. So that was kind of the question that we had. What was going on there in Cornelius before that moment? That's a great question. I think it's a really important one actually, because you look at um, Cornelius in the way he's described in verse two, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to all the people and prayed continually to God. Clearly, um, clearly, there's something going on within there that's encouraging, right? It seems like these are all being presented in a positive light. And in fact, I think later on it talks about how his prayers that come up as an offering to God. Uh, that, I, yeah, that's verse 4, actually. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So I think we can say there's something going on, but I also think it's equally clear that he needed to hear the message of Christ to be saved. Right, And I would say that for two reasons. One, Peter actually goes and shares the message with him. God feels it's necessary to send the angel and to use the Holy Spirit's guidance to get Peter to share the gospel. And then in Acts 11, the passage that we looked at last week, um, he talked about, somewhere in Acts 11, it talks about the message of salvation. Um, well, let me see if I can find it real fast here. As you're looking at that, I mean, the idea would be if yeah, Cornelius was good... Peter wouldn't have needed to go. Right. Yeah, so verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Like, well, actually, let me backtrack to verse 13. Send to Jop and bring Simon who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. He, he didn't say, he, he's going to send you a message. He's going to tell you how you already are saved and how you can improve on it. He's like, by which you will be saved. Right. So I, I think he, like, to answer your question, I do think he was still dead prior to knowing Christ, because I think that's true of all of us positionally. However, that doesn't mean that the Spirit wasn't doing a work to begin to prepare him for the work of regeneration. The best example I can maybe give you is from my own life, okay? So I I feel confident that I did not come to know Christ until my freshman year of college, student union, University of Northern Iowa, fall of 1999. But, you know, I've shared my spiritual journey 
a lot of times. And I would say that a moment that God used in my spiritual journey actually happened the summer before that when I was working at McKinley Incorporation and McKinley Incorporated in Sheraton, I was in the warehouse and it was me and another high school girl, Kara St. Lawrence and Kara knew Christ. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember the exact context of why she asked me this, but one day she said, so do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you, do you know him as Lord and Savior? And I remember like, I actually actively remember like sweating profusely at this question. Like it made me nervous. Like now it was huh. hot in there too, but like it, it made me nervous. And I think I said yes, but I think there was part of me that thought, no, but I just thought that's the answer she probably wanted to hear and that that might keep the conversation from going further. I, I would guess that's why I said yes. But I look back on that and I think, I think God stirred something beginning there. Like I wouldn't say that was my moment of salvation. Um, and, you know, I think too, like I remember playing football my senior year and, um, you know, football was my life in high school. And we get to the end of our season and we've made it to the state quarterfinals, you know, one of the best seasons in school history and we're holding up this trophy and I just remember feeling empty like this this is it we did it all for this piece of junk trophy like wow um and so again I would just say that wasn't my moment of salvation but that was I were those moments where the spirit was stirring something in me I, I think so um and so I would say like was I still dead though? I would say yes. I would say I was still dead until the moment of conversion, right? When I came to Christ and I came to know Him. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't at work before that. That He wasn't doing something to me and getting me down the path where I needed to go, where I would hear the gospel and respond in saving faith. And so this is a very long-winded answer to your question, but I think that's similar to how I describe what's going on with Cornelius. Clearly, God was doing something beforehand, right? And He was stirring something in Cornelius. But he had to hear about Christ in order to be saved. Right. And I do think that's instructive for us that like, no matter how good a person is or no matter how much even it seems that God's stirring something in them, they still need to hear about Christ in order to be rescued. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I would say Cornelius was just as dead as Saul. Like, now, actually, I love that Acts 9 and 10 are back to back because I think you could come to a conclusion like every conversion is like Saul's. Mm-hmm. Right. On the other hand, you could come to the conversion... Every conversion is like Cornelius, where you have to kind of have an inkling going that way. And having the two stories back to back, you realize, nope, every story is different. Sometimes he rescues a wayward sinner when they are about to head headlong off the cliff. Other times he, he rescues someone that he's been doing a work in for a while, that they're stirring something. Right. But the point is they're both rescued by Christ. Like they both need Jesus. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. And that's a pretty long-winded answer, but that's how I would respond to that. Because once you say his ability to fear God and pray continually to God has to be a work of the spirit, right? Because he's not going to do that on his own accord. Like there's, so there's already something. Assuming that that's, that he's genuinely praying to God and he's genuinely doing these things, which I think, I think we would have to assume that to be true based on the way the text reads, right? Like that this was a genuine thing that his memorials are coming before God. Yeah. That's the work of the spirit. That's a work of grace. Like, Mm -hmm. and you know, I think there's there's common grace. Of com, God's common grace falls on all people, right? But I, I think there's a specific work of grace that he's doing in Cornelius to prepare him. Just like I would say, like, God sending Kara St. Lawrence into my life for me feeling what I did on the football field was also a specific work that God was doing to prepare me for the moment when right. I would hear the like gospel. Like the Spirit is already pulling at you. 
I think so. I, I don't think we have to say that the spirit. You yeah, I don't think we have himself. to say that the spirit is completely inactive in an unbeliever's life until the moment of salvation. I think the spirit can be doing things and stirring right. things, and is up until right. that point. In fact, in an effort to prepare us for that moment, right? right. I, I think that's how I would take the work of the spirit to right. work. Right. Right. I think that's what's going on with Cornelius. I, what he's doing is commendable. Obviously, it's presented in a positive light here. There, there's nothing about this that is seen as negative. Right. Um, in this passage, what Cornelius does and who he is is clearly seen as a good thing. And I would say it was a work of God that he was in that place. But again, my point would be that I would drive out with both him and Saul as they both need a rescue by Jesus. Right, right, right. And we can't stop short there. We can't say, like, if we look at someone today and go, oh, look, they're interested in spiritual things, you know, and... And, you know, they're praying or, or whatnot, but it's that moment where, where you come to Christ. Yeah. So let's say you have a kid and they're all of a sudden, they're really interested in spiritual things. Like, can you say, oh, I think God might be working. Absolutely. If they're interested in spiritual things, that is a work of God. Like rejoice in that, but don't just be like, well, let's just see what happens. Right. Like, sure, or to Christ. say, that's enough. You got it. Yeah. Oh, good. You're interested. Great. Right. No, it's turning to Christ. That's what rescues you. It's not right. being interested. But that doesn't mean we can't rejoice. Like, you know, if if I had a relative who's, you know, far off and all of a sudden they start expressing an interest in spiritual things, I think, oh, I think God's doing something here, right? Like, and in fact, I think that way all the time about numbers where I see them more interested in things. I think, oh, okay, God's doing something. Like the Spirit's preparing mm-hmm. them. But at the end of the day, they still have to turn to Christ in order to be saved. Do you think... Um, let me ask you this question. Do you think like when Jesus healed the man who was, was blind and at first he could only see like people that look like trees and then he was able to see clearly like the second time, like, do you think that's like, I've always thought of Jesus's healings, physical healings as picture of spiritual realities that he does in us. Like when he raises the dead, he raises us from the dead. You know, he heals the blind. We were blind and now we can see. Like, do you think like is in showing the progressive healing there? Like I was like, okay, it's not like Jesus had a short circuit of power that moment. He's doing something intentionally there where he only has partial seeing and then full seeing. So, so what would be the spiritual reality he's pointing to then? Would you argue? Like this slow work of seeing, like even like, like, in this time period, they saw some things and they understood some things about God, but they didn't understand everything. And there was a slow, gradual revelation that took place that they understood God, but now they're understanding Jesus and now they're seeing things clearly. I don't know if that's accurate or if I'm treating that correctly. And I know I'm putting you on the spot with that one. Well, I know I preached on that in Mark, and if I'm honest, I can't remember what conclusion I came to. Um, I, I do think we can say this. I think sometimes, even after you become a follower of Christ, it still takes a while for some things to click, right? And to clear um, up. Yeah. I think, you know, you can, I don't know. I, again, I would say, like, I hope in 2050, if we were to do a pod, if we're still around and kicking and doing podcasts, I doubt they'll be doing podcasts in 2050. They'll be doing something different, I'm sure. Technology will have long passed podcasts. But if we were to be doing something like this in 2050, I would hope we look back and think, yeah, we didn't see that real clearly. We, we've grown a lot since then. Right. I, I know that I would look back on, you know, 2005. I'm just picking a random year here and look back and say, boy, yeah. I, I've grown a lot since then, right? Like, and I didn't see things real clearly. So I think in that sense, yeah, I think that does happen. Like where we just, and you know, 
won't that be true for the rest of our life here that we'll constantly be growing and understanding who God is more? And, right. and I think I think you can make the argument that'll probably happen in heaven too. Like that although we'll see much clearer than we do now, we'll always be growing. So I'm going to punt on what I think happened in that passage with the the um, two stage blindness. I'll go back and look this week, and maybe we can revisit it last next week, because I, I can't remember where I landed on that. And you know, I'd have to see if I still landed where I did back then. But I do think what you're saying makes sense in the sense that just because you see, you might see some, but you still haven't seen clearly. That right. that does happen right. in our walk. Right, with there is a progressive revelation that sure. takes place in our lives. Yeah. When we're learning things, and I wonder if that's what is happening with Cornelius, is there's a progressive revelation that's taking place in his life. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I would just say, like, the, the key thing I would just strive or point to with Cornelius is I think he had to hear Christ to be saved. Absolutely. So it wasn't that he was like kind of saved and then really right. saved. I think right. he was still not saved and then saved. Right. Or I would, use, I would still feel comfortable using the terminology if he was dead and then became alive. Right. But the Spirit was doing work, right. you know, kindling something. Absolutely. Like for sure. All right. Well, we've covered a wide variety of topics, including DeLoreans today. So in Acts 9, or excuse me, Acts 10 and 11. So that, that's a lot to cover. This week, we're looking ahead to Acts 11, 19 to 30. So uh, another great passage. Barnabas plays a prominent role in this passage, which I really appreciate learning about him. And then there's this kind of weird prophecy at the end. And the believers act on the prophecy. So there's a lot to cover. That's all I'm saying. I would encourage you to read ahead Acts 11, 19 to 30. Uh, and in the meantime, of course, as you do that and as you go about the rest of your week, just remember to keep looking up and keep diving into the Word of God.